todo el mundo. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the documentary The Ventures, Stars on Guitars. This is your destination for all things rock, where the interviewees include musicians, authors, historians, filmmakers, and more. And now, on to the show. My guest today is author Jarrett Keene, who has a new book out called Hammer of the Dogs. Led Zeppelin fans are sure to pick up on the play on words, but there are also quite a few shout outs to rock and metal music throughout the prose. Although it's listed as a novel for young adults, the subject matter is pretty heavy in this Las Vegas post-apocalyptic tale. Jarrett is an assistant professor in the Department of English at the University of Nevada, and he's also the author of a biography on the Killers, one of the most famous rock bands to come out of this region. So we'll talk about that and more. Hi, Jarrett. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you on the show. Well, I want to dive right into your new book, Hammer of the Dogs. Um, what was the inspiration behind it? And what are some of the musical references that readers can expect? Well, before I became a professor here at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, in the English department, I worked for many years toiling in the basements of these Las Vegas properties, Bellagio, MGM Grand, Mandalay Bay, Excalibur, and I don't know, I just saw them as worlds within a world, cities within a city. Um, I saw them as rivals, and the employees were certainly competitive with one another. You know, the Luxor employees love to uh, vanquish the Excalibur employees in everything from fundraising to uh, corporate challenges to hot dog eating contests. There was a real um, sense of, I don't know, competition. And as I was working in these um, hotel properties, I couldn't help but feel that what would, uh, you know, I I couldn't help but imagine what would happen if there was a uh, catastrophe and how would these, you know, hotels, these casinos function in the aftermath of, of some kind of, you know, world ending cataclysm. 
And then around the same time, I was using my employee badge to sneak around into these tech conventions. And one of the most interesting and frightening of these gatherings was the drone tech convention, which uh, seemed to come here uh, every year for a time. And I was startled by the um, amazing, vicious weaponry, uh, you know, everything from, um, um, you know, bird bots uh, to, uh, the, you know, insect drones to, um, you know, just to like four-wheeled uh, autonomous vehicles armed with machine guns. These things would parade around the convention center and um, I could sense something terrible coming. <laughs> so I wanted to <laughs> capture some of this um, future shock in the form of a, a rip-roaring adventure novel. You know, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to write like a um, political diatribe against the military industrial complex. I wanted to write, you know, a scary yet uh, roller coaster warning in the style of, well, Terminator or Aliens or I don't know. I just wanted to write um, a, a fun story with a kick-ass rock and roll soundtrack. And so that's what I set out to do with Hammer of the Dogs. Yeah, yeah. You infused a lot of cool heavy metal and rock references for people that may not be familiar with Led Zeppelin, I feel like Hammer of the Dogs is kind of a, a play on Hammer of the Gods. What are some of the other musical references you added in there? <laughs> well, uh, I have, of course, uh, Alice Cooper's Teenage Frankenstein, which is one of my favorite tracks off of, I believe it's Constrictor. And I don't know, I just, I I loved tacky, I loved uh, it. Uh, adding these songs into the stories and in a way that, you know, gave you some insight into the protagonist, the main character, which is uh, her name is Lash. And she's someone who's suffered quite a bit before and during and after the catastrophe. Um, she is a drone assassin who, you know, starts out with uh, the mission of trying to kill an enemy warlord, but then, soon discovers that uh, her mission is completely different. She's, uh, she's discovered that there's a possibility her father might still be alive. And she's in search of a, of a way to uh, rescue him and piece her uh, tattered family back together again, while at the same time saving her friends who are uh, trapped in the bottom of the uh, Luxor Hotel. So that's, um, the music was meant to you know, propel the momentum uh, to inspire the reader to uh, play some of this music and, you know, everything from, you know, Alice Cooper to um, Twisted Sister to Wasp to um, Slayer. I wanted all, I wanted it all to um, motivate the reader to blast a heavy metal soundtrack while enjoying the, the novel. Nice. Do you have a Spotify playlist to go with that? I do. I haven't. I haven't shared it quite yet. I've been a uh, a little busy with other uh, book launch uh, shenanigans, but I'm probably going to do that um, next week sometime. But you know, off the top of my head, I'd have to uh, let you know that Iron Maiden's "Killers," the uh, the title track off that second album, is on that list, as is uh, "Wasps uh, Sleeping in the Fire," and um, you know, Slayer's uh, is. Uh, 
Slayer's Rain and Rain and Blood, uh, the title track. Love it. Yeah, um, these are just um, great songs that really, I think, stand the test of time. They're not just 80s throwback retro tunes. I mean, they're they're songs that if you played them today, you know, they they hold up. They don't um, they don't sound like you know those goofy songs that we dismissed that I dismissed uh, for too long. I should say that there was always a part of me that growing up in the eighties believed this music to be a, a guilty pleasure. But now I've come to find that the music is more meaningful to me, the older I get, because it, um, it represents that last uh, really moment in music when everything was analog and raw and unhinged and unpolished and undigitized and unspotified. It was just, you know, cassette tapes, Walkmans and, um, you know, adrenaline. And um, I didn't know it at the time. I, I thought I thought it would stay this, you know, that way forever. But uh, come to find that um, a lot of the music that that followed that era, grunge included, became very, you know, uh, digitally manipulated and defanged. And uh, I just love music that still has that uh, feral attitude. That idea that if you listen to it long enough, it's going to cause you to do something crazy and uh, something you might regret later. So that's why I um, I, uh, I chose, or I should say Lash uh, listens to this music and she pushed it on me uh, as I was writing the novel. <laughs> well, the novel does have uh, that feral quality, sex and violence, but it's built as young adults. So what is the ideal age range for Hammer of the Dogs, would you say? Well, I mean, again, going back to the 80s, I think you and I were chatting about this uh, uh, recently before uh, we sat down here. But yes, so uh, to me, I, I don't even believe in the notion or the, the category of, of young adult. My young, the books that I read as a young adult are, you know, are really uh, very aggressive. For example, Stephen King's, um, you know, The Long Walk or Carrie. I don't know if you've reread Carrie in a while, but it's uh it's very aggressive, very in your face and would and you know taboo shattering in so many ways. True. And then um you know violent comic books, everything from Frank Miller's Ronin, which I read way too young to um you know Alan Moore's Watchmen. These are vicious works of literature and um I don't know if I even believe in young adult, but I do know that uh, I wouldn't have a problem with a teenager reading this uh, this book. It's it's I wouldn't recommend it to a you know a middle schooler or anything like that. But anyone thirteen to eighteen, I think, is going to dig the heck out of um, this book, Hammer of the Dogs. But I will say this: I uh, I have deep respect for the young adult genre as it stands. You know, obviously, I'm paying homage to. Books like Battle Royale, Hunger Games, um, Divergent. And I wanted to write something um, uh, in that area. But I am looking further back towards, you know, those strong warrior women protagonists from those 80s movies that you and I enjoyed, particularly Ellen Ripley from Aliens and, you know, uh, Sarah Connor from the Terminator uh, movies. These don't are forget Red Sonia. Red Sonia. <laughs> I mean, you know, I was a fan of Sheena, Supergirl, yeah, those 
and those were considered um you know box office failures to a degree but but not for me i watched them uh, in the movie theater and of course i cherish them on vhs and now dvd blu-ray whatever um i just love those movies legend of billy jean um i can't get enough of that stuff labyrinth i could go on and on i just i just love those kinds of stories and for me the best science fiction fantasy adventures you know they always feature uh women warriors women characters so that's what i wanted to pay tribute to uh with hammer of the dogs um well there's a lot of supposition about the future and you talk about future shock some would say the future is now with, with ai and smart weapons and the like um so what was your research process for this my research process was very interesting because I did no research. I just gathered brochures and propaganda and magazines from the drone tech conventions. Oh, wow. And okay. sat down with them and studied them and, you know, clipped pictures out of them and put them around my writing desk. And um, everything that's in the book already exists. The tech was not uh, extrapolated. It's all stuff that's real from the, you know, drone uh, obscuring drone camera obscuring hoodies to the um you know that net that shoots out and uh uh short circuits the the um quadcopters all of the stuff uh, you know is, is from the these magazines and i should note that these brochures and propaganda these are uh nearly a decade old so what they what they're now pushing on the convention floor one can only shudder in horror at what <laughs> <laughs> It might be there. Uh, I haven't. I have not attended a drone tech convention since uh, right before COVID. So um, you know, the last four or five years, I'm sure it's uh, absolutely um, startling what's out there. Oh yeah, people have had a lot of downtime to invent more bizarre weaponry and uh, new tech. Now you talked about um, having worked in casinos and the book yes. does include a lot of Las Vegas strip landmarks um, such as the Luxor. Now I understand that um, you did draw on your previous experience behind the scenes, but can you talk about how that manifested in the book? Well, there's uh, this place where Lash uh, goes uh, after she's killed people or assassinated people with her drones. It's called the uh, the employee dining room. So if you've ever worked in a casino, you know there's a place called the EDR where employees line up and get their gruel before they before or after they, you know, they do their shifts. And I always thought this was a, a really fascinating uh, uh, area. And it seemed to me that it would be very easy to use an EDR to sort of, I don't know, pacify or feed uh, the employees stimulants, stimulants or depressants you know, uh, use it as a way to manipulate their behavior. So I just kind of leaned into that uh, a, a little, a little more than, um, than, uh, than what I experienced personally. Obviously uh, I was there so long that the EDR became a, a place where they were trying to push uh, healthy options, you know, so the food got really bad for a while because they were pushing like, oh, gosh. You know, like, like steamed eggplant and stuff. Oh. <laughs> in an effort to get employees to stop eating french fries all day long i can see why you called it gruel <laughs> but you know they tried they, they were they were doing their best to sort of make this the employees eat a, in a healthier fashion but you know it's sort of uh it really comes down to um personal responsibility and and respect and 
Um, I wanted to explore that a bit, especially at the start of, of the book. If you're familiar with the opening, you know that Lash uh, struggles a bit to find something to eat and drink there. Yes. <laughs> and then that's contrasted with the warlord she's supposed to be uh, assassinating. He uh, kidnaps her or takes her to his uh, city center um, um, area. And the food there is quite different. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but there's a reason why the, there's lavish food there. Uh, you know, it's it's because uh, the luxury resort uh, industry is is struggling to restart, and uh, you know he he thinks it's possible. And there's a lot of parallels to what's going on in Las Vegas currently. These opulent resorts on the Strip, and then um, the forgotten people who live in the storm drains. Uh, struggling to survive uh, that's what's currently happening now and it it was a small extrapolation i thought to um you know push all of this into a um near future dystopian um realm now i want to switch gears a little bit i think we should call you the rock and roll professor because i recently attended a really fun talk and presentation at the university which you set up and it featured the author of a new book on the making of rock and roll high school. So um, can you give us a rundown on how the public can enjoy these UNLV presentations? We have what's called here the University Forum Lecture Series. And it's a great way to um, meet professors, uh, authors from all around the country who uh, arrive at UNLV to show off their work. And a, a lot of this work zeroes in on popular culture. And so I'm always myself, you know, trying to find ways to bring exciting new uh, takes on um, the pop culture landscape by professors such as the one you, uh, you know, mentioned Stephen Armstrong from Utah Tech, published that book recently on the Ramones and uh, the making of Rock and Roll High School, which is a, an iconic film, at least for me growing up, I'm sure it was for you. Um, I, I just think that increasingly uh, scholars, academics are finding that uh, everything that's uh, been said about Shakespeare has been said, and there's it's time to move on to different uh, subjects. And so they're willing to take on everything from, you know, Stephen King to um, Martin Scorsese to, you know, uh, the, whatever video games are hot at the moment. Um, people are taking this stuff more seriously as, you know, they see it as meriting critical analysis. And so I think that's great. So university forum lectures is one, is one thing. Uh, Black Mountain Institute offers um, uh, a series of literary, but also uh, creative nonfiction authors uh, who come to town and, and uh, give talks and give readings. And of course, there's going to be an incredible array of, pop culture options at the Las Vegas Book Festival, uh, which takes place October 21st at the historic Fifth Street School in downtown Las Vegas. You know, it's free and I, uh, I love those kinds of events. <laughs> I do too. Yeah, it was uh, really fun to attend that talk and I'm looking forward to the book festival as well. We'll both be on a panel there. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I haven't been inside a classroom for decades and it's far less painful than I remember. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah. thank it, you for doing this. It's a bit different. Thank you for coming. Yes. I, um, and you can always, um, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm usually posting information about upcoming, uh, you know, pop culture related events, 
rock and roll, comic books, uh, films, stuff like that. I'm, uh, I'm very, I'm very into, uh, I'm into all of that. So that's what I, uh, that's what I want to do is help, you know, put, put a spotlight on the cool goings ons here in Las Vegas. We were talking about your fiction, but now I want to talk about your biography on the band, The Killers, Destiny. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm taking a few years back in time here, but I'm still very interested in this because yes. I can't get enough of fan biographies. Um, and The Killers are um, from Las Vegas, famously. So um, how did that collaboration come about? Well, as soon as I moved to town and we're going, we're talking about all the way back in 2001, I was working for, I was freelancing for the alternative news weeklies in town. And uh, you may remember this kind of publication. It's, <laughs> it's like the LA weekly or <laughs> yeah. is the LA weekly still around? I don't even know. I, I think it is. <laughs> I, sh I should pay attention. But the um, back then there was like, I'm not joking. There were like three 100 page thick 100 pages thick all weekly newspapers in las vegas alone it was just a like a golden moment uh, a great decade for uh, alternative journalism and entertainment writing here in las vegas so i was working for one of these papers and also teaching part-time at unlv and one of my students was good friends with musicians who would end up uh forming a band called the killers so I watched the killers form before my eyes. You know, uh, I watched them meet each other. I watched their first rehearsals. I watched them. I was right there. And at the same time, I was writing about their shows, their demo tapes, their, um, you know, whatever they were up to. I was covering as a music writer at the local, at the local weekly. And then what happened was they suddenly blew up and I thought to myself, well, I have, a, I have uh, all these articles and I have all this information and insight. I should probably put it down in a book and, and tell the story of how the killers came to be. And so that resulted in the, the book that um, I'm not even sure when they came out. Was it 2005, six? I can't remember. Now. I believe. Uh huh. Yeah. So I just, to me, it was like a clip job, like, um, I did it in a hurry. I did it uh, for money, but I also admire the tenacity and the the, the way the band changed music. Uh, there was nothing like the Killers at the moment that they emerged. You know, everything was sort of in that heavy grunge uh, phase, and along comes this band with makeup and scarves and um, trying to sound like David Bowie. Uh, and Joy Division, and I just thought it was a an amazing counterpoint to uh, the scene at the time. And so I don't know. I found a lot to admire about them. So I, I wrote it all down in a in a book. I had some photographs that were unpublished uh, that the weekly newspaper photographer had had snapped, uh, you know, over the course of a year and a half. So to me, it was it was obvious a book had to be done. And that's the most money I've ever made on a on a book, you know, from an advance or you know the royalties there's a lot of killers fans out there and they love that band. Oh, absolutely. And, and nonfiction, um, you know, tends to be my best selling yeah. portion of books as well. In fact, I'm working on a new rock and roll nightmares book called blood on the tracks, which is about songs inspired by a true tragedy. So of course, Jenny was a friend of mine will be covered in that yes. book. Um, and there are various stories about another killer song, the ballad of Michael Valentine, um, yeah. which story is correct. What did you conclude in your book? <laughs> well, Michael Valentine is a, 
a real person. He, he was the student in my class. Okay, well, then you have the inside story. What is it? <laughs> well, he was a professional um, gambler who made a living and still does, as far as I know, um, at the poker tables. And so it was a, uh, a tribute to, you know, the way uh, Valentine is able to conduct himself here in Las Vegas. And I don't think that, um, obviously, there's other Michael Valentines out there, but this was the, this was the, um, the key to unlocking that song is, you know, the, um, the Michael Valentine persona that this particular uh, young man, this student had um, uh, created. And of course, that, that student went on to form his own band, Romance Fantasy, uh, with his under the moniker Mike, you know, led by Michael Valentine, and they opened for the killer several times. Oh, um, wow, big arena dates. So, if you google that, you'll 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 find that to be uh, interesting and inspiring, I'm sure. And there's some YouTube videos, I believe, that are also available of uh, the Michael Valentine um, um persona uh, leading the romance fantasy band, uh, during the opening set of uh, you know, a killer's concert, but uh. Yeah, everything they wrote about on that first record, at least, is, uh, you know, grounded in experience and truth. And, you know, the the mystery and madness of Las Vegas is is all there and hot fuss. Um, and one day I'll be able to tell the, the story about the uh, the album title Hot Fuss. Not today, but uh, I might say that. <laughs> okay, later. Well, I'll have to have you back. <laughs> yes, I think you should. <laughs> Well, Las Vegas is known for its great live music scene. I'm currently enjoying it quite a bit. There's a lot of good hard rock out there, um, both on and off the strip. Um, but I'm wondering, since you've been here longer, what are some of the most memorable concerts you've seen here? Um, over the years? I, I don't know. I, I'd have to say that because Las Vegas is set up the way it's set up, you get everything from you know that that hard aggressive music that's you know percolates in the in the local scene but you also get these incredible um residencies and i'm sure you've noticed that a lot of the uh 80s hard rock bands have done their residencies yes here. def leppard yeah um, motley crew um i think gnr was here for a while i did not see gnr but uh seeing def leppard interviewing them i mean it's hard for me to talk about just the strict concert experience because like you Stacey you know I was an entertainment journalist for many years and so interviewing Def Leppard prior to their uh first show in a of the residency was unbelievable you know to to see your childhood heroes the people that created pyromania and they're talking to you and they're telling you about things and sharing their stories that they hadn't shared before. It was, um, I, I don't know what to say. It was just in, inspiring, invigorating, and uh, it made the show that much better. So I would have to say uh, Def Leppard's uh, residency was probably um, at the top of my uh, my list. But, you know, I've seen other great bands, everything from, uh, you know, Cigarose to um, Abigail Williams to, <laughs> you know, oh, wow. to Death Heaven to... You know, it's just a great um, place to catch uh, amazing shows. I, I I do tend toward the harder end of things. I love seeing, for example, uh, Sleep uh, live in concert, an incredible uh, stoner doom metal band trio. But again, I I also love Jackson Brown and. <laughs> yeah, same here. A great variety of of music that we can choose from here. I saw 
Elton John, you know, his uh, Goodbye yeah. Yellow Brick Road, um, you know, to everything. And uh, who else did I see? I saw James Taylor here. Yes. Um, you know, and then also some really hard heavy metal acts and punk acts. I mean, there's really a great variety of, of music here. It's a great smorgasbord for music fans. And it's, I can't believe Barry Manilow is still playing here. But he <laughs> well, I have not seen him and I don't know if I will, but you know, what the <laughs> heck, I could try it. What Perhaps. about, uh, what's his name? Oh goodness, Wayne Newton, he's still performing. Yes, I haven't seen him in many years, but um, you know, I would, I interviewed him for the employee newsletter at MGM Grand and um, he's an incredible talent person. I just, it's not what my go-to music, but I, I recognize his musicianship and, and all that. But um, no, I mean, I've seen Cher, uh, Celine Dion, Olivia Newton-John. Uh, you know, uh, I saw Mo one of Lemmy's last shows here in Las Vegas. So I've just been very lucky and fortunate to live in a, in a music town uh, such as this one. It's been a, a great experience. And I, I can't imagine living uh, anywhere else. I just love the, the variety and the, um, the, the quality of the venues, too, is, is really important. And, uh, Vegas has that. It does, and it informs your work. Mm -hmm. Getting back to um, Hammer of the Dogs, which is out now. Um, where can people buy it? And um, what else is there with it? Like, there's an audio book, right? There's an audio book version, you know, Kindle version. There's, um, uh, and you reminded me, I should get that Spotify playlist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can look forward to that. Um, what's your uh, Instagram handle so people can follow you and and uh, look for that link when it's available? Yeah, it's author Jarrett Keen, J-A-R-R-E-T-K-E-E-N-E. And uh, you can also follow me on X uh, at Keen Jarrett, K-E-E-N-E, Jarrett, J-A-R-R-E-T. What's your next book? Is it a sequel to Hammer of the Dogs or something different? Well, I'm waiting to see how this the sales go as how many, uh -huh. how many units we shift on Hammer of the Dogs <laughs> before I write. I don't want to be that guy that writes all three books and without a a book deal. You know, I'd have to. I, I want this. I want Hammer of the Dogs to to be successful enough so that I can send uh, Lash on further adventures. You know, I want to put her on the on Mars and have her fight alien. You that know, would be fun. <laughs> but uh, at the moment, if you've read. Um, Publishers Marketplace today, which I'm sure I'm sure everyone has. I uh, I signed a uh, three book deal on a series of Western novels uh, set in Virginia City, Nevada. So uh, I'm getting I'm hard at work on those as we speak. That's and, exciting. Now, are those uh, period pieces, or are they set in uh, alternate reality, or what? They're they're not uh, speculative. They're historical westerns, uh, but they're very similar, I think to uh hammer of the dogs in some way because they're uh, you know they, it, I'm, I'm aiming for a younger demographic so uh there might be a bit of that ya uh energy at work in in these books i want to reach out to you uh, to a younger audience uh the western is enjoying a moment you might say with the success of series like you know yellowstone 1883 1923 but i i want to see if we can um gear it towards uh younger readers i've i've always been drawn to uh you know, graphic novels and and uh, rock and roll that aims for a younger audience. So uh, let's see how it let's see how it turns out. But I'm very excited uh, that Western series, uh, which is tentatively titled "Kid Kid Crimson," will be out uh, this summer. Fantastic! Well, congratulations on that and all of your endeavors. Thank you, Jarrett. Thank you, Stacy. This is this is a lot of fun. We should do this uh, again. 
Absolutely. You've got more books coming and I've got more podcasts coming. So sounds like a perfect uh, goal for both of us. This concludes another episode of the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Remember, there's a book series too. All the books are available in paperback, ebook, and audio via Amazon or the Rock and Roll Nightmares website. That's R-O-C-K-N-R-O-L-L-Nightmares.com. Our official theme song is She's Out for Blood by Fuzzbuster, founded by Lars Cabot. Thank you for listening. <laughs>